morning. Our Old Testament reading for today is found in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and chap- uh, verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading for today is found in the uh, first letter to the Corinthians from Paul, chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. This is the word of the Lord. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning is taken from St. Mark, the first chapter, beginning at verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Today we are going to be taking a look at that wonderful reading from the Gospel of Mark. Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have granted to us in sending us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We pray, Lord, that as we hear his word and his call upon us, you would teach us to follow him faithfully all the way to eternal life. But now grant us your Holy Spirit as we hear your word today, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. As you may know at this point, this is going to be a very, uh, very important year for our country. And I'm sure you've heard this. This is one of the most significant years uh, that our country is going to experience uh, for quite some time. And so thinking about the weight and the importance of of what's going to be happening this year, I want to invite you guys this morning to join me 
uh, this summer as we cheer on our United States Olympic team with the 2024 Olympics, which will be taking place in Paris, France. That is the most important thing that is happening this year. I can think of nothing else that really matters much uh, coming up this year besides the Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics. I enjoy this very much. The competition, I get to watch get sports that I will not watch any other time in my life. But I, th I think they're just a riot. But one of the things I find is as I start watching the Olympics, I always enjoy what I see. Like I'll watch the gymnasts or the divers or something like this, and I always start by saying, those people are amazing. How do they do that? How do those people spend so many times and not land on their belly jumping off of a, of a high dive? Like, how does this happen? And at first, I think it's pretty cool. But then, if I'm honest, I start to get a little jealous. Like, I could never do that. I could never, <laughs> I could never be a gymnast. You know, that might surprise you guys, actually, uh, to know that I could never be a gymnast. But I could never be a gymnast. I could never be a high... I wish I could do that, but there's just no way. How do they do that? Now, that might not be in entirely true. I mean, given the right uh, set of circumstances and training and age and ability and money and all of these things, maybe I could uh, pull off some of that stuff, and maybe you could too. But you know what? Probably not. Uh, these people are about as good as it gets in the world, and we watch them, and there's just like, wow, how do they do that? I don't think there's any way I could do that i got to tell you, that's how I used to read this account from the Gospel of Mark this morning. When we see the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus comes to the disciples, and he calls them to follow him, and immediately they get out the boat, and they're right behind him. And I used to read this passage and go, there's no way. How do they do that? I mean, they just gave up everything and started following him. I don't know if I could ever pull that off. Let's hear it again. Uh, the account from this morning. This is how it goes. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They just did it. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed. I mean, it, it is amazing. That is like, that's full-on Olympic-level discipleship right there, right? Jesus says it, and we do it. We're right there with him. We are following, and nothing is holding us back. They left everything. So I would read that passage and think to myself, I don't know if I could. What about you? Let me put the question to you today. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready just to immediately drop everything and start following Jesus at his word? Are you ready to go? Or do you read this passage like me and you're like, well, listen, I've got to make a few phone calls first. should probably tell my wife if this is what's going to happen. Like, do you read this and start to feel a little frustrated, like a little discouraged? Because you don't think you could pull it off. You start to think you don't have what it takes to be a follower of Jesus and to join him on his fishing for people expedition. Now notice I said, I used to read the passage that way. But I think I'm missing something. But before we move on from that reading, it is probably worth noting something that's going on here. When Jesus comes calling to these disciples, 
He's not sending out party invitations, hoping for an RSVP, like I really, guys, I really hope you guys show up. Yes or no, are you coming uh, to the fishing party this weekend? He's not offering an option. He's staking his claim. He's making an announcement that the God of heaven and earth has showed up with his kingdom. And what he has to say and who he is is far more important than anything else that is going on in your life at that moment. Nothing matters more than Jesus' word. Nothing matters more than the call of Jesus because nothing matters more than Jesus. I think that's what Paul is getting at here today in that reading we heard from 1 Corinthians where he's like, hey, if you're married, pretend like you're not married. And if you are uh, living in the world like you're buying stuff, act like you're not buying stuff. And you're just like, what is he talking about there? I think what Paul is getting at is when it comes to the call of Christ, nothing else is as important as what Jesus has to say. Everything else takes a backseat to the word and to the call of Jesus. And I think about this. Think about the power of that word. Think of what Jesus' word does. For example, when God speaks at the beginning of all things, when he's creating, you know, everything, he speaks and the world comes into existence. It's his word that comes to us and exposes our sins to us and shows us that we cannot save ourselves. It's his word that then comes to us and announces that our sins are forgiven. And with his word, he not only forgives us, but he gives us new life. He gives us the hope of eternity. His word is this all-powerful, almighty word that accomplishes what it says. When Jesus says something, he's doing something. When he speaks, he creates. His word does what it says. And that's when it struck me. I'm coming at this text all wrong. I've always read this text and thought to myself, it's all about the response of the disciples. It's all about immediate faithful obedience to Jesus. And and there may be a little bit there. But actually this text is about the power of Christ's word. We were talking about this text and similar texts in our Wednesday morning Bible study a number of weeks ago and one of the guys in the class said this and i thought this was really insightful he goes actually when you read this text i don't think it's all about just following i think it's about a miracle like when jesus speaks and these people start following this is actually a miracle account because what happens there is impossible what happens there is beyond comprehension what happens there is a miracle of christ himself he speaks his word And these guys follow, and it's a miraculous faith that they are given. Jesus shows up, and he calls them. He is there casting his net out and drawing these disciples to himself. He's claiming these men as his own. He's drawing them out of the waters to give them a new life with him. Their obedience, their following, their faith, is not some spiritual accomplishment that gets them on the heavenly Olympic squad. But what you see taking place here is Jesus giving them the gift of faith and a miracle that they follow him at his call. And when you start to read the text like this, you start to notice a few other things here. First, you'll notice that Jesus is the one calling them to be his disciples seems kind of obvious but if you look back in those days in the in in ancient jerusalem when rabbis would get disciples they would not choose their disciples 
the disciples would choose them. The, the way it worked was it was kind of like signing up for college. They would have their options in front of them, and they would decide, that's the college I want to go to. That's the rabbi I want to follow. And then their parents would take out $70,000 worth of loans for a semester, and they would go. They would follow them like that. Maybe not exactly like that. Uh, but they would, follow, they would choose uh, the rabbi, but not with Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up so that he might be chosen by anybody. Jesus comes to choose. Jesus comes to save by his grace. He chose them. What's more, he chooses them and he accomplishes this work by speaking, as we mentioned, that all-powerful word. And did you notice where he was when he spoke that word? By the sea, by the Sea of Galilee. And isn't it interesting that every time Jesus gets around water with his word, amazing things start happening. We already mentioned, like at the beginning of all things, when God is creating the heavens of the earth, Genesis describes it this way, that the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then over the waters, God spoke and said, let there be light. And light was created. And then God speaks over the creation, and the whole thing comes together. Later on, he gives his word uh, to Moses. And Moses is there to, to rescue the Israelites from the tyranny in Egypt. And where does Moses take them? But to the sea. And they can't cross it. So Mo God gives Moses his word and his command, and the sea splits. The people are rescued and they're saved. Even when Jesus himself is baptized, we see God come down in, in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of the dove and the, uh, and the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son, with him I'm well pleased. And Jesus goes out and at that, that point that he begins his mission to the cross. And now today, once again, we have God in human flesh showing up to the water to draw out these men to be his followers. And they hear his word, miracle of miracles, they believe, they follow. And when you read the text like this, when you see it's really all about Jesus' choosing and Jesus' saving and the power of Jesus' word, you start to realize something. This account is not just telling you how you'd better follow Jesus or else. It's not showing you what you must do to be a true disciple. It's actually telling you some good news. That this is exactly how you already became a disciple. Because Jesus came to you in the waters of your baptism, and his word was spoken over you, and he drew you out of the waters so that you might become his followers. And how do you know it worked? What are you doing on Sunday morning right now? Oh my goodness, you're here. Look at this. You came once again to hear the word of Christ. The Lord Jesus chose you. He got you. He said, follow me. And here you are to hear his word, to trust his word, to believe his word, and to follow him. It's not about your immediate response. It's about his faithful call. Now, I know uh, this is sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around that Jesus would do this. And I will hear people say this, like, yeah, okay, this is great. Jesus chose me. But still, look at those disciples. I mean, they are Olympic-level disciples. There must be something wonderful about them in their lives. There must be something amazing that Jesus saw in them that he would draw them to himself so that they would become these great fishermen of people and they would be the great apostles who would start the church and all of this. They must have been sort of first-rate people, first-rate uh, uh, students of the word to do this. 
And I don't got that going for me. I'm no expert on the Bible. I don't know everything the scriptures have to say. I can't just go out and start calling people to follow Jesus. I can't just sort of spread the net of evangelism and tell all my friends to follow and expect them to listen because they might have questions. And I might not have all the right answers to invite them to join me in learning this stuff. Well, if that's what you think, if you would go to Jesus and you would say after he says, follow me, and you would say to him, I don't know if I have what it takes. I think Jesus would look at you and say something like this. You're right. You don't have what it takes. That's not why I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you because I love you. I'm choosing you because I know of your weakness. I know of your sin. I know all of it. But my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I'm calling you to tell you that you are forgiven for your sins. And now I'm calling you to follow me so you might watch the amazing things I'm going to accomplish in your life. See, if you, if you notice this, if you think that these disciples are sort of like these superior Christians or something like this, and that's why Jesus chose them, I encourage you to read past this text and the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is really like a comedy of errors of the disciples, right? Like their, foot, their feet are securely fixed in their mouths. They're getting things wrong all the time. You actually find that these disciples are really sort of power-hungry, glory-seeking, self-serving men who cannot seem to want the things of God. And yet Jesus is patient with them. Jesus teaches them over the course of three years what it means to take up a cross and follow him, to die to, their, to, die to themselves and live to God, what it means to be a servant instead of a master. Jesus teaches them what it means to follow him, to the cross, then ultimately to the empty tomb. They learn to live, not by virtue of something marvelous inside of them, but by faith in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the life Jesus has invited you into, invited me. That's the life Jesus has called you into. That is the life Jesus has given to you, a life to follow, in which there will be times when you get things very right, and there will be times when you get things very wrong. And there will be times when you serve yourself, and there will be times when you learn to serve others. And you will have good times, and you will have bad times. But in all of those times, you will learn to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ, who has nothing for you but mercy, forgiveness, grace, and kindness. Rebuke when you need it, and hope throughout all of it. Because you see, this text is about what Jesus has done for you. He chose you. He gives you. And he's now, uh, he, 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 he equips you, I should say. And now he gives you a vocation, a place, a calling in your life where you are to live this discipleship out so that others might hear the good news. They too might be called into this life of discipleship. You say, I don't know what to say. Uh, if you were here last week, and we heard this in the gospel reading when Jesus was gathering some other disciples to himself. Just invite them to see. Just come and see what we have going on at the church. Come and see what Jesus has to say to you. Come and see. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the right things to say. But I know Jesus loves you. Come and see what he has in store for you. So today, hear the word of Christ, which he has chosen to give to you, for he has chosen you to be his own. 
Hear the word, repent, and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come for you. And Christ, with the power of his word, tells you, your sins are forgiven. Now I call you my own. Follow me. Miracle of miracles, if you see that, you actually believe it. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us for your promise to forgive our sins, your promise to lead us into life everlasting. We pray this day, O oh Lord, that we would follow you. You would teach us to be bold in sharing our faith. Lord, help us always to know that we can follow you back to this place where you will tell us again our sins are forgiven and you will strengthen us and lead us into life everlasting. It's in your name we pray.